I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me in the studio is the Producing Artistic Director of the University of Delaware's Resident Ensemble Players, Sandy Robbins. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you. Great it, to be here. So great to have you back. We I've had you on the, the show a few times before, but I always love to get you on at the beginning of your season and looking at the season, some really exciting pieces, some that people have heard of, some they have not, uh, but really a, a fascinating array of, of of, uh, plays coming up this year. But uh, before we get into that, I'd love to have you give our listening audience a little bit of the history of the resident ensemble players. Uh, you've been around for a while and really established yourself as uh, as a professional theater company here in Delaware and uh, serving uh, Delawareans. Yes, well, this is our ninth year. And what distinguishes us, I think, there's two things. One is that we're the only resident acting company in Delaware, which means that our actors are employed for a season, not just brought in for a particular play. And in fact, they're they're employed three seasons at a time. And uh, so the audience comes to know those actors, comes to... Uh, we hope take pleasure in the fact that they transform themselves so utterly from role to role. So in addition to whatever uh, merits and, and entertainment there is in any particular play, there's the added benefit, we feel, of seeing people in front of your eyes transform themselves into completely different human beings time after time, six shows a year. And there's a, uh, Paul, there's a, an interesting message i don't uh, i don't really think the theaters for messages but there's an underlying mm-hmm. message i think that comes to you when you watch a company of actors alter themselves like that and at the end of it you say well wait a minute if this person can be Cyrano de Bergerac on Tuesday and <laughs> Stanley Kowalski on Wednesday and somebody else on Thursday how come I get up every morning as the same <laughs> jerk I woke up as the day before maybe there's hope for me and I really do think it it appeals to our own sense that we are way more malleable and way a, a, a much larger possibility than we come to know ourselves as and that's Part of the reason to go to the theater. That's a nice way to segue into a, a question I've, I've always had, and, and that is your your core group of actors. Uh, some of them have been uh, with you for some time. I understand you have a brand new actor this year, this season. Uh, could you talk about the dynamics of that over the last nine years? Yes. Uh, we... I assembled, I I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is select a couple of leading leading man and woman and then a couple of character people and then a couple of juveniles and so that you have a sort of fit-up group for the way plays are put together. I didn't do that. I just got the eight best actors that I could find. And that means that any one of these actors can carry a play – any, and when they play smaller parts, you're seeing an actor who has Broadway credentials and the major regional theater credentials playing a part that normally would be played by a much lesser actor. And that's part of, I think, what distinguishes us. Uh, the, the actors came for two reasons, really. One, they were all picked uh, from uh, the pool in the United States for their versatility, that was really one of the key distinguishing characteristics that had me say, okay, look, would you join us? And what the appeal to them, I think, is the quality of the productions they get to be in and the breadth of the productions they get to be in. Because as you know, 
we work very hard to not have any two plays be much like one another. And over the course of a season or two, who have covered the breadth of dramatic literature as well as new contemporary plays. And then the other thing is a steady job. You know, in the theater for an actor, even actors as successful as these, you do one play and then you hope you have another one and then maybe a TV here or there or a film. But it's a tough life if you want to have any kind of roots, if you want to have a family, if you want to have any relationship or stability. And being part of a resident company affords a life that most of us take for granted that isn't usually available to artists. As as one professional actor said once uh, in a conversation I had with him, doing a show is not the job. Finding the next show right. is the job. Is the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your, your yeah. job is looking for work. Right. And, and for these actors, there's the opportunity to have the job be to be as excellent as they can in these this series of plays. And it gives them a chance. And instead of they're trying to set up auditions and figure out how to get the job, mm-hmm. they are looking ahead to the next role they're playing, starting to do the research on those things. And so when they come into the first rehearsal, they bring a kind of background that you just can't get. The other thing is, I'm not a big sports fan, but I, I hear tell <laughs> that an all-star team is never really the best team, mm-hmm. even though they've got the best stars from each of the teams, because they're not really a team. Right. And right. that we know in symphony orchestras, we know it in sports, that a group of people who play together and th- there is some kind of communication, some kind of very hard to describe, but some kind of chemistry between those people on the stage, a trust in one another and a vulnerability to one another. You cannot achieve by putting together what looks like an ideal cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, these people, many of them have been with us from the very beginning. We're adding one new member of our acting company this year, a band named Hassan Elabine, who comes to us after nine years as the leading actor at the Dallas Theater Center, and before that, the lead on uh, Lion King and Broad on Broadway. But they know each other. They've mm-hmm. been trained in a similar way. They like working together, and I think there's a dynamic on stage that's very hard to achieve in other circumstances. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you've worked in, in settings other than repertory, so uh, could you talk a little bit about the dynamics of the rehearsal process for for actors that have worked together for so long? Because, I mean, you know, as you know, and theater people know, a rehearsal process is not only the individual performance, but also getting that ensemble performance whether they're the lead or, or yeah. you know, a smaller character. Yeah, well, I can contrast it. I, I do a lot of guest directing, as you mm-hmm. know. Right. So uh, when I go to another theater where the actors have been brought together for that production and then when it's over, they're going to disperse right. something else, <laughs> a certain amount of time, you have usually four and a half to five weeks of work, of rehearsal in a professional theater, mm-hmm. at least at the theaters I work at. And a certain amount of those first two weeks are spent very tentatively. Right. Nobody wants to look the fool. Right. Nobody. Everybody is hoping for a good opinion of their <laughs> colleagues. And, you know, it's not that they're any more egotistical or narcissistic than the rest of us. It's just human nature to have a concern for what other people think. When we start at the rep on the first day, even though we're bringing in usually guests who augment our core company because most of the plays we do have more than eight characters, uh, 
they're starting to work. Mm-hmm. And, and so from the very first reading of the play, you have uh, uh, powerful choices being made and uh, uninhibited, a kind of unrestrained giving themselves to the material. And the, one of the good things is all the awful mistakes we make in rehearsal can be made early mm-hmm. and gotten out of yeah. the way. <laughs> and, you know, when, when people are daring, it elicits being daring from others. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's true in, in life. Right, right. And so if you have an environment where people already trust one another, they already know somebody's got their back and there's a safety net and that they enjoy the good opinion of one another. Right. You know, fortunately, we have – a group that really does admire and respect one another, you can take a kind of chance that you might otherwise think about and kind of wait and wait and wait and maybe never take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's sort of the, the old adage, uh, the director saying, make me pull you back yeah, rather right. than pull something out of you. Yeah, yeah. you can say that. Uh, yeah. I wish saying that made that happen. But, <laughs> and you know, I, I have the very good fortune to work at fairly major theaters with really good actors Mm -hmm. and even the best of them in a new setting with new people they're just a little tentative Mm -hmm. for some period of time you do your utmost to make that a short period of time right but the rep there is no such period of time they go right to work right well let's let's get into how a repertory company like yours the resident ensemble players uh deals with figuring out a season because you have a core, yes. you know, you can't pick the show and then figure out, okay, what actors, yes. you know, can I hire to fit that? I mean, you do, but you also have to, you, here, here are my actors. So how does that shape how I select a season? It's a major factor, no yeah. question. It's not the only factor, but it is a major factor that over the cor- course of the season, I want to provide opportunities that are challenging for each member of that ensemble. I, that isn't the primary factor in choosing a scene, but it's a major factor. I also want to make sure that if if we do six plays, that they are as different from one another as I possibly can make them. Different in tone and mood, different in uh, period, different in look, because people are going to come in and where they're going to watch as well as here. And that's a a major factor. And then another factor, we we are funded by the University of Delaware and uh, generous patrons who support us and the Delaware Division of the Arts, thank heaven. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we, we, because our major funding is from the university, it behooves us to select material that can be studied in the college curriculum. Now, fortunately, the University of Delaware is a very big institution and there are people studying contemporary drama and there's people studying Shakespeare and there's people it, it, it's very uh, unconstrained it's not a big constraint mm-hmm. but I do want to make sure that I am serving that institution since they are for sure paying for this both for their students and faculty and for the community the the university feels very strongly that it has an obligation to engage its community to be of service to the state of Delaware and we're one of its major tactics in that uh, in that strategy and then the the other thing is uh plays that particular artists that we would like to have come and work with us directors designers are keen to do 
you know, this year, as an example, Mariah Aitken, who's the Tony Award and Olivier Award winning director that people probably know best from uh, the production of The 39 Steps that mm-hmm. ran for ever in a day in New York and London. Mariah, who was with us last season and directed our production of Shaw's Heartbreak House, is returning. And I, I knew from the moment I saw rehearsals of last year's play that I would like to have her back. And she said, I have not done Moliere's Tartuffe, have hmm. you? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> and so oftentimes projects emerge because a particular artist is so keen to do it and loves our company and sees them in those parts. Same thing with one of our two season openers. We're, we're opening with two plays this mm-hmm. year, uh, Waiting for Godot, which Ben Barnes, who's the former artistic director of the Abbey Theatre in Ireland and has a very long and distinguished career, including productions at Lincoln Center and mm-hmm. all, really all the major theaters in, right. the, in, in the world. Yeah. He was here last year and did what I thought was one of the best productions we've ever had on our stage of of O'Casey's Juno and the Paycock. And he, having worked with that company, he said to me, you know, you have the perfect group of actors for Beckett's Waiting for Godot, which mm. is one of the great plays of the 20th century, right. mm-hmm. maybe the most influential play of the 20th century. And uh, so that hadn't been in, on my list particularly, but knowing that that extraordinary artist saw it as a good play for our audience, which he had come to know, and our actors, that gets it on the list. So when you put all those factors together and stir, mm-hmm. you wind up with a season. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this is fascinating to me. Uh, let me uh, interrupt, though, if I may, just to remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guest today in the studio is the producing artistic director of the University of Delaware's resident ensemble players, Sandy Robbins. Uh, Sandy, um, I, I, wa- I want to digress for just a moment. Uh, you, you've talked about sort of how uh, being in an academic setting impacts uh, your choices. Uh, uh, having worked in an academic setting in theater, I, I know that there's uh, uh, the, the repertoire tends to be different because you don't have the same mission as uh, say a commercial theater would have, could you could you speak to how that broader mission of what you do impacts not only the community, but I know the resident ensemble players also play an important role uh, for the students through undergraduate cr- programs. Yeah, uh, our mission has to do with making the breadth of dramatic literature enlivening and exciting on stage for people. You know, you nobody ever found out about great music by reading the sheet music of Beethoven. <laughs> and while people like to read plays sometimes, as you know, it's really bears... It's just a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. even a... It's just a different world. It's as, it's as different as black and white and color. And uh, so our mission has to do with... If you stay with us for a season or two, you really will have seen the breadth of dramatic literature, different kinds of experiences, experiences that make you laugh, experiences that make you cry, things that touch you deeply, things that are thought-provoking about contemporary issues. And you can only do that in a season. You can't do that in a single play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a great deal of our mission is the same for the community as it is for the people that work or study at the University of Delaware. 
And then on top of that, each of the actors in the resident ensemble players teaches a course each semester for the general student body. These are not designed to train anybody to be an actor or anything. But as you know, Paul, one of the biggest fears human beings have is speaking in public. Mm -hmm. you know, there was a poll on USA Today asking the most frightening thing, and death came in fourth, which I, <laughs> I've never gotten over, which means that at a funeral you would rather be the corpse than speak the eulogy. And I, I can't figure yeah, that out, but yeah. I know it to be so. So the courses our people do, which are just introductory kind of courses, leave people with more self-confidence, with more sense of self in front of a group, and they are among the most very popular courses at the university. It, you know, it's two 90-minute slots over the course of a week, not much time out of their rehearsing and performing, and it's an enormous service. And then lastly, the university will build certain programs uh, extracurricular kind of programs around our season. For instance, when we do a Shakespeare, they'll, they may bring a series of scholars and do public lectures. And so we become an opportunity for the university to celebrate what it does. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a few minutes left, so let's uh, let's get into this year's season to see how that sort of reflects the you know what you've been talking about about the range of the repertoire and how this serves your actors and and serves the community. Sure. Well, we're going to start off. Uh, we're going to open one play. Uh, and then another immediately. First is going to be God of Carnage, which is a hilariously funny black comedy about political correctness gone awry. This <laughs> very civilized group of four adults have had their children have a little schoolyard brawl, and they come together to discuss it, discuss it civilly, and all hell breaks loose, and <laughs> civility is out the window. And we're following that for Waiting for Gatto. Uh, as I said earlier, probably the most important play of the 20th century in a very funny and surprisingly touching production. I just saw a run-through of it the other day, and its I knew it was going to be very, very funny and very entertaining. I didn't know it would be so poignant, mm -hmm. and it is. Then we're going to do a play called Clyburn Park, which is a really interesting play about race in America. Uh, it, it takes... Uh, the the story of Raisin in the Sun and places it some years later and what's happened to that house. And then the second act is yet some years later and what's happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see all of Americans' racial issues and tensions and the funny side as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to follow that with a really interesting play called The Bells. And it's both written and directed by Teresa Rebeck. And you've had her at the UD before. Yes, we have. Yeah. Teresa's mm -hmm. done two world premieres for us in between creating the NBC television series Smash right. did two plays for the rap <laughs> and she's you know one Broadway playwright and a fabulous director mm -hmm. this is a very interesting play it's set in the Yukon during the gold rush and it's kind of a whodunit but against the setting of this historical setting mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. It's really a kind of thriller. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're going to do The Elephant Man. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's one of the most popular plays in, a, we've, in the last 20 right, years. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to finish the season with Tar Moliere's Tartuffe, mm -hmm. directed by Mariah Aitken. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty broad spectrum of dramatic literature and I think very different emotional experiences for our audience. And as you've mentioned, you, you've done, uh, you haven't done Tartuffe before, you've done Moliere before. Yes, though. I remember you did yeah, The Imaginary Invalid a few right. years back. Yes. Yeah. Just some, yeah. some fabulous work. Um, so uh, I, I'm curious, uh, the university has a new president this year. Uh, 
and and I, I was just wondering how does how does having a change in leadership uh, impact what you do? Uh, yeah, basically well, impact it, what you do. It can be a very good thing or a very <laughs> bad thing, and we're we're very optimistic. Uh, our new president has already spoken when he talks about the virtues of the university. He's mentioned the resident ensemble players. In fact, he mentioned it more times in his first speech than his predecessor did in all the years <laughs> he was here. So we're very optimistic, and uh, I know that he was very keen to get tickets, mm-hmm. and we shall see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, what what kind of uh, how do you uh, reach out to the community, the schools in particular, high schools? Because I mean that that clearly is is an important engagement yeah. Yeah. process. Part of our mission, part yeah. of our mission sure. is to create new audiences, right. both from the undergraduates at the university and, as you say, from middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. We we make sure that there are a few titles each year that are of particular appeal to that age group that would be great as a first theater experience or a or a second but for people who are we hope cultivating an appetite for live theater and then we market them to all of the schools both private and public in the state not just in the in northern delaware mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we price them so reasonably i mean the, the it's part of the university's mission and so we're not trying to make a nickel on these things we're just trying to cover some of the minimal costs mm-hmm. and uh they've been very popular and the, there's nothing more fulfilling for me than sitting in the back of the house and watching some middle school people see their very first production of any play and and especially if it's a shakespeare or a shaw or moliere that i know has at least the chance of setting them on a lifetime of appreciating the theater Mm-hmm. And it really is not, not only the productions that you do, which are of ju- just outstanding, but just a beautiful performance facility it as is, well that it you is have. A beautiful facility. Well, we are running out of time here, Sandy. I just want to mention your website for people who want to find out more information. It's www.rep.udel.edu. Uh, to check out the season, to get tickets. Uh, Sandy, it's really been a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much. Always enjoy talking to you about theater. Thank you, Paul.